All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday again. <laughs> I tell you, the choir is awesome to listen to. Amen. Well, um, let me just give you guys some encouragement to read the Word of God and in light of today's message, and especially of today, I encourage you to read Psalm 118, being that that is the psalm that they quote within the passage itself. So read Psalm 118, chew on it, meditate on it, tell someone about it, and just see where God leads you as you dwell upon it. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time of coming together, that we can uh, come and glorify you, Lord, by simply... Just looking to you, Lord, that that is something you look for, just our complete and utter trust to be dependent upon you, that you are always, that you be the, the center of our focus at all times. So God, that uh, today uh, we just ask that uh, you bless us as we uh, just come to listen to what you want us to know, Lord. Help us, Lord, to uh, place aside any, any distractions, anything that's going on emotionally or, or mentally, Lord, whatever is going on relationally in our life, Lord, help us sit and understand that you are there and you are in control over our life and you love us, and that you care about everything that goes on in our life. Help us, Lord, to remember this. And God, uh, we just ask you to be with those churches that are meeting across the world, be with the missionaries, uh, be with the... Uh, be with the pastors, be with the congregation, be with the, be with the workers out there, Lord, that are just going out proclaiming your name. Help us, Lord, remember that we are in this all together for one purpose, and that's to declare Jesus. God, convict us of our sin. If there's, sin in, if there's any sins, Lord, that we haven't brought to you, Lord, I pray that you bring it today. Help us see that so we can lay it down at the foot of the cross and cling to Jesus. So we could be filled with love, hope, and peace. And just live the faith consistently before you. Oh God, thank you for today, Palm Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in light of it being Palm Sunday today, we're going to look at Luke 19, 29 through 38, those verses. So in most of your Bibles... Uh, it's probably called the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But if you look at the context, what we're really seeing is what happened right before Jesus goes through the Jerusalem gates. So what we have here, when you look at the text, Luke is revealing to us and focusing on what type of king is entering into Jerusalem. And Jesus is not just any king. I mean, he is the king of kings. He is, his royalty, his kingship is truly unlike anything other that we've ever seen. And what makes this Palm Sunday so interesting is that he displayed his kingship unlike any other. And, what, and Luke is wanting us, the readers, to see this and understand it. That Jesus is so, is so special and, and unique and far beyond anything that we have seen in this world. Luke is wanting us, the readers, to, to be amazed at who this Jesus is and what he has done. And Luke has recorded this event in Scripture to not just give us some past history. No, he is wanting us to see so much more. 
He has written this down to inspire us to trust in our living Savior with everything that we are and to let nothing ever hinder that. And what we have here in Scripture is there to have us to become more confident in the saving work of Jesus Christ. For Luke, in the very beginning of this book, has stated in chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, he says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty, certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. To have certainty in the glorious message of the gospel. For what we have here is written, given to us, to encourage us, to motivate us, to have a deeper and deeper trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. To see that all that Christ went through is not just some nice stories, but actual facts in history that have happened for the sake of you and I. I always remember that our faith is not based on principles, but it's based in history. The historical event of Jesus rising from the dead, proving that our debt of sin, the wrath of God upon us, has been paid fully upon Je- uh, by Jesus upon the cross, if we have faith in Him. It's, it's history. Not just nice fat, not just nice statements. So again, in our context today, or in our text of today, of, verses, uh, of chapter 19, verses 29 through 38, Luke is saying, keep placing your faith in Jesus and his grace alone, for he has done everything for you. For all the burden of, uh, of sin and death, the weight of this world, has been taken by Christ through faith in him. And here is the historical proof of what he has done for you. So today's title is Trust in Your King. So let's look then at the text and be encouraged to trust in him even more as our king above all else. It says in Luke chapter 19 verses 29 through 34, it says, And when he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples, which uh, we saw that nice little... uh, (laughs) A little uh, skit earlier. He sent two disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you. Where you're uh, entering, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And this brings us to our first point. Trust your king, for he is the absolute sovereign. Now understand that Christ has always been sovereign of what happened and what has happened in this world. And he was always sovereign with what was happening to him while he was in the world physically. Remember, he is God incarnate. He is truly God and truly man. He is the God-man. Nothing is ever out of his control. Nothing ever happens outside of his sovereignty. For in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, 
speaks of Christ's power and absolute sovereignty over all. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Christ is always sovereign, but here in the text, Christ is revealing this absolute sovereignty to those around him. And Luke wants us to make sure that we, the readers, are picking up on this. So he does this by revealing to the readers that Jesus was at the Mount of Olivet on this Palm Sunday. This is a, a unique detail given by Luke in his gospel alone as Jesus is preparing to go into Jerusalem. So why would it matter that we know that he's at this particular mountain? Why does Luke bother to speak of it twice in this passage? Well, in the Old Testament, the Mount Olivet plays a vital role where the Messiah will appear to show his sovereign power to judge the world in the final day. In Zechariah 14, verses five through some, uh, five, uh, 4 through 5, in summary, says, On that day his feet shall stand on, Mount Olivet, uh, on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east side, and the mountain of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mountain shall move northward, and the other half shall move southward, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Now, with Luke referring to this mountain in this gospel, uh, where Jesus is at the moment, is he saying that Palm Sunday is that final day? No, no, no. But he is saying that this Jesus is the very one in whom all will have to account to on the final day. He is alluding to that Jesus will come again, but in a totally different demeanor as one of a judge, jury, and executioner. So this Jesus who is, he's currently writing about, who we have faith in, is the absolute sovereign one in this world and the next. So in this context, at the Mount of Olivet, where when, G, when Luke writes that Jesus speaks to his disciples to go get a donkey or a colt, this is not just a simple statement of Jesus asking for something. There's a perspective here that Luke is showing. No, Jesus is making the statement to his disciples to go bring something that is already his. For he is the Lord of all creation. He is the King of all creation. He is the one whom Psalm 50 verses 10 through 11 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. This is the absolute sovereign King speaking to his disciples to go get his property and bring it to him and distress His absolute sovereignty over all creation so we can trust in Him, Luke reveals the fine details that Christ speaks to His disciples. He not only knows where this donkey will be, 
But he knows all about this donkey's history as well. He says in Luke 19, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, revealing to them that this was his donkey that had been prepared for the king's sacred use alone and none else. So Jesus, in telling them this, he also speaks then what to say to the owners of the donkey. Now, this message that he tells them that the Lord has need of it, you know, it might seem like a simple message on the surface. But if you really chew on it in relation of the context of Christ being the absolute sovereign king of this earth, this message carries a lot of weight, a lot of depth that should help us realize who exactly we have faith in and how sovereign he is over our life. So when we look at the text of Luke, we see the disciples go and they find the donkey exactly as Christ has stated. And sure enough, the owners come out and they ask him, why are you untying that donkey? Just as Jesus said they would. Now, just to make sure that we're all on the same page here. uh, What you see from this text is the owners honestly confused about what's going on. They were not expecting someone to take their donkey. There was no setup here. There was not like a secret password. No secret handshakes. You don't get that from the text. What you see is that we get the owners asking a genuine question about their animal that's being taken. And what Luke is drawing out for us, what what Luke is helping us see from the text, what we get here is that The owners, even in their naivety, were under King Jesus' sovereignty and they didn't even realize it. For though they were the owners of the donkey, it was really on loan to them for its true owner was caring for this donkey through them. He was the true caretaker. So all that they did with this donkey that had ever been done to this point was in preparation for its true owner, King Jesus, and he was now calling for it. For though this donkey never saw King Jesus, King Jesus was taking care of this donkey the whole time through his absolute sovereignty. So in quick application to us, when you see how he has cared and he knows of this animal, of this simple animal, how much more do you think then that he cares for you now that you have faith in him? And you might say, well, that seems like a weird question, Jonathan. (laughs) But understand this, Jesus asked that same exact question in Luke 12, verse 24. You're just seeing it now in application. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than birds, than a donkey? Now that you have, now that you have faith in Christ, and yet you cannot see Him, know that through His absolute sovereignty over this earth, He is always taking care of you and making sure that you are accomplishing His his purpose. Never forget that. He is your sovereign King over your life. 
We don't have to live in fear. Now, there's another aspect of the Lord has need of it that should be brought to our attention in light of Christ being the absolute sovereign king of this world. Because Christ is the absolute sovereign king and authority over this world, he never needs to ask permission for anyone to do what he wants in this world. Our king doesn't need to ask permission of anyone, for he is the king of the entire universe and heaven above. So when you see that he gave any type of explanation to these people asking, why are you taking our donkey? It's actually really remarkable. For as Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 reveals that no one even has the right to question anything that God does. For it says in Daniel chapter 4 verse 35, all the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will, the host of heaven among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So King Jesus could have had the disciples take the donkey with no explanation at all. The Christ knows, Christ owes nothing to anyone. In fact, all owe him. For all belongs to him. But remember, Luke is revealing to us that our king is truly remarkable and completely trustworthy. And he cares for you. So so though he has no reason to give an explanation, he does anyway. He, He has the disciples explain to these owners what is going on, even though they don't deserve it. For our king is truly a gracious king, a humble king, who inspires wonderment and amazement amongst his people, or at least he should. I hope that's what's happening. So he, out of his grace and humility, made sure that the disciples explained what was going on to these people by saying the Lord has need of it. And from what we see in the text, that was enough to settle as to why the disciples were doing what they were doing, and the owners then let the, that let the disciples take it. Or you could say that the word of the Lord was enough for them to realize that what they had was truly the Lord's to do what he willed with it. On a side note then, it's not a bad thought for us to ponder. What in our life is the Lord calling for us to offer to be used for his glory, being that all that we have is from him anyways? You know, since Christ has freed us from the bondage of sin and death and has given us eternal life and everything that we need is found in Him through faith alone, what is God placing on your heart to offer back to Him? I don't know what that is, but I guarantee you, you do. And if you don't, you chew on it long enough. God will reveal it to you. For He is sovereign over your life and uses what you have to glorify Him. But that's what life is all about. Anyways, back to the text. Now, it's strange when you think that the king who has all this authority and power and sovereignty would want a simple donkey when there's a lot more seemingly prestigious animals around. But it was through this choosing of a simple donkey that Jesus was showing who he truly was. 
And the text so beautifully reveals this. Luke 19, 35 through 38 states, And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it, and he rode along, and they spread their cloaks on the road. And uh, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, there it is again, a whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. With Jesus sitting upon this donkey and his reputation following him, Jesus was making a public statement that Luke wants us to see. Christ revealed that he was King Messiah, that the Old Testament has been speaking about hundreds of years ago. But he was a very specific type of king. And this leads us to our second point. Trust in your king, for he is the humble king. By Jesus sitting upon this donkey, he was fulfilling one of the many prophecies, but more specifically, Luke hints at the specific prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, where it says, Rejoice! Greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A lot of donkey. I like to say I'm just the donkey that Jesus rides, I'm going to hee-haw to glory, right? Here you go. Anyways, what Jesus was doing was becoming very clear to all to see that, very clear for all to see, and the disciples were the first to take notice of it. They realized to some extent that Christ was making a move that would unashamedly be seen by all those around in Jerusalem. That he is the king that all have been waiting for. For he was directly and bluntly fulfilling Zechariah's nine prophecy. Now, Luke never directly states this reference, but he highly echoes it. Because he emphasizes so much in this text that Christ, the sovereign king, came humbly on a donkey to Jerusalem and not a war horse. So with Christ approaching the city this way, whereas all other times you look in the Gospels, Christ always walked everywhere or took a boat, but he always walked He is now coming in on a donkey for the first time. Christ was expressing that he was the royal one to bring salvation, but not through war, but through humility, just like the prophecy said. For Christ's whole ministry was about serving people and placing their needs above his own, even though he was the king over them all and they didn't deserve any of it. Everything he did was for the betterment of people around him. And this donkey that Luke emphasizes so much is pointing to that demeanor within him. So King Jesus didn't come with an army of soldiers. He didn't come with weapons. No, he came with his service to save people by ultimately dying for them to pay for their sins. The King of Kings came to conquer the world of sin and death by becoming the sacrifice for mankind's sin. That's power. That's humility. This king of kings came to our wretched world full of sinners. He didn't deserve his time, his thoughts, or his love. But he came anyway, 
humbly to serve anyone who would have it, not because they deserve it, but because of his love for them. This mighty king of kings came humbly saying, as Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 states, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So King Jesus, on this journey down the Mount of Olivet, going towards Jerusalem, embodied that message visually by coming on a donkey to be seen by all. It was this visual image of him humbly stating, all are welcome to place their faith in him and him alone. But sadly, those around him didn't pick up on that didn't pick up on this humble king on a donkey. They focused on the king aspect that was coming. But they had no idea of what type of king he was, even though it was right in front of their faces. But nonetheless, they did declare him as king, even if they didn't know what, even if he wasn't the king they were expecting, they treated him as a king nonetheless. And Luke makes sure we realize that, that he was the humble king as prophesied in Zechariah 9 for all mankind by mentioning that on this day, Palm Sunday, the people started to treat him and speak of him as royalty. For, the, would, for Even though it would only be for a moment, Christ and his kingship that he already had was being recognized by those around him. But as we know, it wasn't the type of king that they were looking for. And this brings us to our last and final point. Trust in your king, for he came to save your soul. What the people saw in Jesus at that time was politics. They saw Jesus as a political statement to all those around that Christ has come to save them politically. King has showed up. Better start packing. Things are going to be different. A new sheriff's in town. And they were right. He did come to save them. But not the way they were expecting. For it was not the politics of the time, or really any time, that was occupying Christ's mind. What was occupying his mind was men's souls that were damned, that needed a gracious Savior to save them from the eternal wrath of God. For Christ was revealing that he was the king of all by the way he came to Jerusalem. He was making a statement, but it was a spiritual one, not a political one. He was showing that he came to give them true freedom. And that true freedom is from sin and death. But nonetheless, even though they weren't understanding why this king was there or really who he was, they still gave him honor of king and declared the truth with their actions and words. So Luke mentions that they placed their cloaks upon the ground before him as he rode in on a donkey. And as he, uh, uh, which is a, a reference back to what uh, people did for a king back in the Old Testament of 2 Kings 9. 9.13, where people, people welcomed Jehu as king. They placed cloaks before him. 
And as this was happening, as Christ ascending this mountain, and he's on his way to enter Jerusalem with all these cloaks being lined up, he is greeted then with a large crowd of disciples from all around. And all of them, in verse 37, gather and, and say, Praise God with a loud, uh, they praise God with a loud, loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now notice, what brought the excitement was the mighty works or the mighty miracles that had been done by Christ and not necessarily Christ himself. It was, what he, it was the works. They think that Christ has come to save them from their enemies and oppressors, and that's it. They were thinking that God had sent this king to liberate them from a corrupt government by all these miracles. I mean, he's bringing people back from the dead, healing people left and right. That's why they chanted in verse 39. This is what verse 39 reveals. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. By quoting Psalm 118, verse 26, they changed blessed is he to blessed is the king. They show where their minds are at. It wasn't on the person, but on the politics. They were not understanding why Christ was sent. Though he was king, they weren't getting it. Christ was sent, the Almighty King was sent to save them from themselves. They thought the true enemy was out there in the world and the King had come to stop all of it. But that's not why Jesus came to the world. He came to save them from the real enemy, from themselves, the enemy within the dark hearts. For it was their own hearts that was truly keeping them in bondage in this world. It was their sin. Christ said, Christ had said, said this in Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20. He says, but what comes out of a mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. This is what brings bondage to a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. We all need to realize that sin comes from within. Yes, the world is full of evil. Yes, the world is full of corruption. And yes, the world is full of sin. And Christ will come again to put an end to it all. But that's not why he came in the first place. He came originally to provide forgiveness and freedom and salvation to those who commit the sins. Those who commit the sins are you and me. You and I, on an, individ on an individual level, have to account for the sins that we commit. We have to uh, account for our own hate, our own lust, our own anger, our own perversion, our own pride, our own greed, our own unthankfulness, our own, un uh, our own wretchedness, and so on and so on. We are the problem. We are the ones under condemnation who, were br who are bringing more and more condemnation upon ourselves. It was not the world that was doing so. Though the world may tempt us to sin, we are the ones who give in to the sin. So Christ came humbly to save us from ourselves. The peace in heaven and glory in the highest that the crowd was declaring, but not understanding, was that King Jesus was going to accomplish what, what, what truly was Christ was going to accomplish through the cross by faith alone in him and not politically. 
For the true peace and the glory that Christ had come for was to restore peace between God and man by removing the wrath, the condemnation upon us because of our sins. So He died in our place. So we can be forgiven by faith in Him and not have that looming on our heads anymore. For truly, faith in Christ's life, death, and resurrection is the only thing that can bring you true peace in your life and the glory of God's favor upon you. Not because of anything you have done, but because of whom you have believed and what he has accomplished for you. All the accounting of our sins by faith in Christ has been placed upon him so we can just have favor and love and stand before God in the end and say, I'm not here because of what I've done. I'm here because of him. That's who I've had my faith in. And this is why Luke can be so confident saying that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Or, I have written these things so that you can trust in your king, so keep doing so, don't get caught up in anything else. So let us, on this Palm Sunday, leave here knowing that through faith in Christ, we can be we can say boldly and victoriously, Psalm 118, verses 6 through 7. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. For Christ has done it all. He has done it all for us by faith in Him. So happy Palm Sunday. Let's always remember that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I am so excited to see that your son has accomplished everything for us. God, right now I pray that if there is someone that doesn't know you today, that they will come to know you and see what you have done for them through Jesus. That in this world there is no hope. That Christ is the only hope we have. God, I pray that if there's someone, if, if someone here is struggling with that as a Christian, they're trying to remember that. Lord, help them remember that you are sovereign over their life and you love them and you're working everything in their favor and you have not abandoned them. That you will provide them the strength and the grace and the hope and the joy, everything that they need simply by looking to you by faith. Oh God, I pray that you will help us all to stop being so exhausted by the things of the world, and to take rest in Jesus, to know that he did it all. We simply need to trust in him. Oh Lord, thank you for this Palm Sunday. I pray that nobody misses the true reason of why Jesus came. It was to save us, to save our souls, so we can be with you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.